This is the one with a colony of snakes on roller skates. The Sisterhood of Sick Burns. Davros Space Nipple. One arch enemy after another. And the Doctor's partying like it's 11.38. It's called The Magician's Apprentice. Here Here we we go. go. We're still on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. We're slipping and angels now. Dalek, Cyber, Zood and wow! Counting Sonic's rating apps. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whittaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be. But who back when? Who back when? Dearest podcast land, <laughs> we are gathered today to behold episode N118 of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Oh, Doctor. That's right. Welcome to the show. I am staring at a Skype screen with two absolutely wonderful, fabulous people on the right side of my screen. Marie. Hello, Marie. Hello. Uh, adjacent to Marie, we have Drew. Hello! That's what they sound like, and I sound like me. I'm Leon. Hello, Podcast Land. And today we are talking about The Magician's Apprentice. Ah, so what? (laughs) I haven't been waiting for this since it aired on 2015. (laughs) Are we going to behold you living out your raison d'etre? Are you going to come to just the culmination of a person (laughs) throughout this review? I have considered leaving this podcast after The Witch is Familiar. Let's put it like that. But I'm not going to. Oh, good. What a roller coaster! Oh my goodness! <laughs> you know what I think high level. What do you guys think high level? Marie, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. I'm super excited. What do you think? What do you think? <laughs> I'm gonna have to say I'm really sorry to put a dampener on things, but just not quite. Just not quite to the levels of excitement as you two seem to be. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. We are going to have I'm, an exciting roundtable today. Yeah, I'm say, so I'm interested very... to find out how on earth you can find fault. <laughs> <laughs> I'm willing to be talked up, so... Well, Drew, same page club. Marie, I'm sorry, you're wrong. This episode is incredible. It's a work of genius. It's amazing, and I love it. (laughs) Marie is not wrong. She's just bringing a different perspective. (laughs) (laughs) There is no wrong. Fine. (laughs) He said unconvinced. Shall we (laughs) B-scow this and then get into it? Let's. Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. In the midst of the war on Scaro that started with some kind of referendum and lasted a millennium, the world's last innocent little boy, a cherub by the name of Davros, is tossed a flashing stick by a crouching madman with a box. He promises to help evade the clutches of a hand minefield, but shamefully breaks his promise by leaving. Thousands of years later, that little boy has devoted his life to birthing and rebirthing an entire race for the sake of the universe. In spite of an encounter calculable to amount of time lord meddling but now nears his end so he sends out colony soft a serpentine democracy on heelys to invite the doctor around to witness his death rattle meanwhile the doctor's confession dial has made its way via the sisterhood of Khan. 
to Missy, who's frozen all the planes in the world and rocked up in a hot country piazza to sip espresso and take people from their loving families far too young. The universe is closing in on the Doctor. Just how much has he got left in the tank? Bisco, over. over. You are welcome. Don't you just. <laughs> <laughs> so, who watched the prologue? What? What? I don't know there was a prologue. I only remembered that there was a prologue because we mentioned it in our instant reaction review, which I re-listened to. <laughs> oh, you know what? I'd forgotten that we did an instant reaction review. <laughs> yeah, this is my first re-review. And you know what? That guy really knows his stuff. <laughs> the, so the tell us about the prologue. Is, yeah, the prologue is a two-minute scene between the Doctor and the main sister of Khan. Um, he hands her his confession dial, and there's this nice back and forth about how he's always lying. So he's sort of talking in reverse when he says yes he means no when he says no he means yes he says he doesn't like her at one point and um she says that he can hide from enemies but he can't hide from his friends and so that's how clara finds him later on and it all ties in very nicely it's quite a good prologue it's just one scene it's very cheap but it's nice Hmm. I mean, that rings half a bell. Yeah, that, that sounds really familiar now you've said it, and I think I remember enjoying it, so bravo prologue. Is that oh, meant so to take place the... right before the scene when Snakeface shows up at the Sisterhood of Khan? Possibly. It's not really established. I lose track of the peregrinations of the confession dial, so it could be a while before. The Doctor says he'll stick around for a while. Um... I feel like he can't have just been hiding there in that cave for the whole time, though. He doesn't go to Khan that often, so if he is there, it must be either right before or right after I feel he must go there specifically to live to deliver yeah. the dial he hasn't been there since he was McGann in the night of the doctor he's got to catch the sisterhood up on his last four incarnations <laughs> he has a lot to talk about I'm jealous of him after four months of lockdown dead jealous wait is that the case has oh no you're right oh, I guess they... do they not meet Matt Smith oh do they maybe. maybe they don't no you're probably right oh well okay okay so in answer to my question I watched the prologue hooray Ray, is that already adding to your score since you remember how good the prologue was? Yes, because you've watched the prologue. Yeah, I'm going to add uh, half a point there straight away. Oh, nice one. Bam. Half a point. Okay, we're going to get you up to our level in a moment. Don't worry about it. <laughs> So I have forgotten that this episode ties together and relies so heavily on a tremendous amount of Doctor Who lore. There are cameos of all sorts all over the place, and you've got Missy, and you've got Dave, and you've got the Daleks, you've got like everyone. You've got an Ood! You've got an Ood! Wait, who's Dave? Davros. We started calling him oh, Dave Davros. in the last classic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I think I've missed something. Who's this Dave? No. <laughs> Right? Yeah, this episode has like tendrils everywhere. Well, they go to the Maldivarium and it's like a little bit like Star Wars-esque. Yeah, all isn't it? Aliens <laughs> the cantina and then the Shadow Proclamation turn up again. Yeah. Doesn't the Shadow Proclamation look so much better this time around? It does. It looks fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a bit peculiar to have it like a stately home in space, but it was just far more befitting of the grandeur I expected, even if it was a bit in Congress than RTD's conference centre effort. <laughs> yes, agreed. 100%. <laughs> Question about the Maldivarium. So it, mm. I'm, I'm going to guess by the name that this is where Darium Maldivar harkens from. Yeah. So is Darium Maldivar, is that just like being called Billy Earthling? Well, I didn't know whether it meant that he was from like a like stupidly rich family that basically owned it all. Uh. Like maybe, maybe the whole planet's not called Maldivarium. Maybe it's the town that they're in or something. 
yeah, I like to think of it as, as a bar, an establishment that he created and filled with his knickknacks and his wheeling and dealing from all over the galaxy. And even though he's now just a head in a box, it's retained his name out of sheer reverence for his exploits. I think maybe Maldivarium has just become like his essence is in this bar. Like he used to yeah, bring people. Really? In You'd think they'd have cleaned it. <laughs> <laughs> That's very unsalubrious. <laughs> <laughs> I can dig it. I can dig it. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> but yeah, I'd forgotten that we went to the Maldivarium, the Sisterhood of Khan, the Shadow Proclamation. Exactly. I'd forgotten all of that. So much happens in this episode. I will say that it's not like Star Wars. I think it's like in Matt Smith times, where he he goes and he drops the Dalek weapon and he meets up with the miniaturizer robot this has been done enough in doctor who that i think it is trying to establish its own take on it rather than just being a star wars ripoff every time it appears oh yeah i think the the star wars element of this really only pertains to the aesthetics of the maldivarium yeah which feel very much like the star wars cantina it's just the star wars cantina with way surlier music <laughs> but but aside <laughs> from that it is very much the same it, it seems like like it's inspired by it. But I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Was there a long break, a long hiatus between this season and the last? Well, we are now in 2015. Woohoo! Dang this right e- we are. Yeah, this episode was first broadcast on 19th of September 2015. So, so yeah, nine and a half months after the, well, ish, Christmas special that we just reviewed. Yeah, and also we are now less than five years behind. That's right. That's right. Just barely. <laughs> but so the nine and a half months or whatever, that I, I feel like maybe that's the explanation for it. So that there's you have to almost reestablish the entire universe to the viewers who have been waiting for the better part of a year to, for the return of their hero and their, you know, their favorite franchise. And that's why you get this incredibly bombastic, all these references to the, the weight of the show. You even get like effectively cameos by Colin Baker and Tom Baker, the two bakers. Tennant shows up for a second, and yeah. Yeah, McCoy is in the mix. Yes, at least his voice is, right? Do you get to see him as well? No, I just heard his voice. Okay. But yeah, yeah, certainly. Mm. But yeah, I, I like Moffat does this a lot. He likes to show how big the universe is because it is. It's inconceivably massive. Yeah. And just to get a little hint of that, I, I, I'm reminded of the Husbands of River Song. I seem to remember that capering from location to location to location, ping-ponging randomly. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I was right going to say, we, we get these, and they do feel very Star Wars cantina to me, these little sort of scene-setting bits where you do have all these different aliens from every different part of the galaxy and they're all interacting together. But you very rarely get a story that's like that. You're Normally you're on one planet, you have one race it's either earth nine times out of ten or it's an other alien species you don't often get this mix of all these different different ones yeah so it's nice when they do do that yeah the only time alien races mix is when it's two of them in a war exactly and one when they're sharing drinks yeah yeah true (laughs) (laughs) these are all the ones who have run away from the war and just decided to get drunk possibly they do all seem to have something to hide or something that they're hiding from What does one single Ood have to hide? Well, I mean, Ood are telepathically linked, aren't they? So if... Oh, that's true. If, if an Ood wants to commit some sort of 
private misdemeanor. He's got to go a long way from the hive mind. Yeah. From the giant ood ice brain. <laughs> forgot about that gross brain. Yeah. Um, do you know what? I had forgotten the intro. Like, I'd completely... I was watching it. I was like, I don't think I've seen this before. This is new. But it's so good. Like, the kind of, like, war scene and everything's, like, mud and bombs and guns and... Like, biplanes that fire lasers and yeah. the, the infantry that has bows and arrows. Yeah, yeah, it's incredibly cool. It's really, really well shot. And then the introduction of the hand mines, it's all, it's amazing intro. I know everyone said this when this episode came out, but surely that was the result of a typo on Stephen Moffat's part, right? As he's he's <laughs> writing the script, he's like, oh, hand mines, hand- wait, wait, I'm not correcting I'm hand loving. mines? That's amazing. Aren't I great? <laughs> H is nowhere near L. You know what? I checked that keyboard. immediately when this came up. I was like immediately I staring at a, my keyboard, but still. It was a handwritten note, and he did one of those capital L's with the little kink in the bottom. Bingo. That's what yeah. it was. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, he, as if he types his own thing, he's got someone there to uh, to do the tappy tap for him. Yeah, with with a, you know, one of those stenographer typewriters. He probably went through a number of drafts, like sand mines. That doesn't make sense. Just have quicksand instead. <laughs> Wand mines? No, Bland I mean... mines? <laughs> band mines? <laughs> then we'll have to book a band and there'll be copyright issues. Now, hand mines? Yeah, now we're talking. <laughs> now we can rip off Pan's Labyrinth on a low budget. Right, and... also. Yeah. Yeah, with yeah. the eyeball. Yeah. But they looked really cool. I want to know what they looked like underneath. Is that just one massive animal that has a bunch of humanoid hands with eyeballs on them for no reason and does it like pull them down and uh what's the guy in in star wars the sand beast monster oh whatever bing bong future leon here that would be a sarlacc bing bong you know what i'm talking about right yeah boba fett falls into it Spoilers yeah, yeah, for Return, Return of the, of the Jedi. Jedi. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, I know that. I mean, what is it underneath? Yeah, for podcast land. In case there's one one dude or dudette out there who hasn't seen Return of the Jedi and are now like just face palming and like, oh, I should have listened. But <laughs> <laughs> what do they look like underneath? Speculations. They, speculations. How do they breathe under there? Where are their hands? Don't have lungs, Marie. But is there a body? <laughs> is there not a body attached to them? I don't know. Is, are they just severed arms just floating around? But, but, I don't. I mean, know. So they must. They pull people. down down and then weirdly the earth the earth sort of reforms reshapes wobbles back into shape afterwards but they do pull people down and those people don't then climb out so i'm presumably they're either pulled super far down or they're consumed somehow down there is this where the idea of the eye stalk came from like the eye on a on the end of your hand for the darling no. oh oh as in davros thought about that from oh. his childhood and was like yeah. oh, i can i can put that on the front top of the tank head yeah great yeah, yeah. it doesn't have to be where human eyes are it can be out on on this extremity <laughs> We should have, like, a flashback scene or something of, you know, like, university-age Davros. And he's there, he's got, like, he's chewing on a pencil, and he's looking around, he sees the hand mines, like, okay, oh, cool, inspiration. And then he looks in the other direction, and there's, like, a plunger flower. It's like, oh, all right, well, I don't know what to do with that. (laughs) Or someone in the shared kitchen making a souffle with a whisk. (laughs) Yes, exactly. <laughs> While someone is like <laughs> unclogging the toilet. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> 
But yes, I, I that intro is fantastic. In the in the, yeah. the first few seconds, I'm sure, especially when you see the biplanes, you're kind of assuming, oh, this is a First World War retro episode. And yeah. then all of a sudden, oh no, not at all. Very cool. Yeah. Can can I say you went loopy for this in the instant reaction view, being like, being like biplanes with lasers, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> We've already had Spitfires with lasers. Oh, we have. You're right. I forgot about that. In space, in no less. Tree of the Daleks. Yes, indeed, in space. And I was a bit naff actually. Now that I think about, you know what? I had forgotten that instant reaction. I'm not quite as impressed by the biplanes with lasers. I don't get the logic of it. If this is a war that's been going on for so long that technology has advanced across all these, you know, levels, you don't stick to the lower levels. Like, no one's going to run around and try to attack a laser-shooting biplane with a bow and arrow. That's just not going to happen. No, no. They say in the in the episode, the Doctor says the war has been going on so long that you have this weird mix of technologies because society has fragmented so much. People have been cut off from each other. Some have managed to advance their technology others have just been surviving and cannibalizing what they have and gradually sort of reverting and devolving to bows and arrows i don't buy it marie i'm looking at you for the voice of negativity on this episode <laughs> no i'm totally with drew i think yeah that's... no <laughs> boom <laughs> Not ev- not everybody. Although they are they are soldiers, but yeah, not not all soldiers are equal, and they don't all have the access to the same equipment, and sure. you would just have to make do with whatever you had. I I thought it was particularly silly though when the the main soldier that we encounter in the beginning of the episode when he turns around and is ready to fire a, a an arrow at this laser yeah. shooting. But I was like, but surely you know at this point that that's not going to help. Well, yeah. at, at that point, I thought, oh, it's going to be like a laser arrow, and it's I thought so be, too. Yeah, like he's going to hit the plane with it and it's just going to explode into sparkles. Yeah. And it's like, that is a badass arrow, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm back on board. That would have been cool. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's the way he fronts up to the plane. If the, if the plane's coming at him and he's standing his ground there with the weapon, then the pilot's going to be like, oh, wait, does he have a magic sparkle arrow? I don't know. I don't know who I'm firing at. <laughs> I'm going to have to bail out, bail out. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a solid theory. I am 100% on board. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it is stupid because when you look at the arrow, I, I can't even see a point on it, like a metal head, anything. It just seems to be one of those... Um, little wooden rods that you stick into a cake to see if it's baked all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> there is hey, nothing threatening about it. It's you a classic Scarrow cake arrow, you know? Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> they used to be famous for their baking. It is so sad what happened to the Thals. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's a good question. These are the Daleks, ver- sorry, the Carleds versus the Thal, right? Am I remembering this correctly? I think so. Yeah, you are, and you even got the plural right as well. Ooh. Ah, score. Although there's that, there is a serious contention about whether they're Thal or Thals. I'm, I'm pretty yeah. sure Doctor Who says both, as in as a, as a franchise says both. I'm sure we've said both on the show as well. But yeah, so these are. Does that mean that that is the Thal in the biplane? I don't know. I don't know the difference. I don't know which is which. I mean, they're basic. I mean, they're they're both humanoids. I don't know if they're like two countries or if they're two alien species. I'm not sure. So wait, they two sides the of the referendum. The oh, right. yeah, yeah. are a third species, or the handmines are a weapon. 
that's been invented? I took it to be like a like military bioengineering or something. They've they've created this. They, they've made hand mines. I mean, they called hand mines as opposed to oh, it's mm. the hand monster. Like it seems like this is a military device. Yeah, but... yeah, like a precursor to the Daleks themselves. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because Davros grew up to be part of the uh, Scaro Science Institute, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. Of the Carleds. Yeah, I, I like to think of the hands as maybe a sort of fungal growth. Like, you know, you have these giant um, fungal networks under the ground um, and they can spread for hundreds of meters and they can be thousands of years old. I mean, instead of spores, they just got hands. So do you then think that this is just a naturally occurring thing on Scaro? I, I think it's heavily bioengineered, but it's been under the ground so long, they've lost all control of it. Okay. Yeah. Marie, you're on board? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Right. <laughs> In that case, I concur as well. <laughs> yeah. But I just, it's like, it's gone from, it's not like a targeted weapon anymore. It's just anyone that stands here, like a, like a normal mine, like it will just destroy you. Indiscriminately? Yeah, Discriminate. exactly. Yes. So it could they actually could belong to either side. That's true, yeah. Spot in the wrong spot and not realize. Well in uh, the Daleks, as in, in the second ever classic Who's Hero, when we go to Scaro for the first time, we meet the the Thal and and, and the Daleks for the first time. We yeah. see remnants of life on Scaro. Scaro, by the way, not a desert planet in that serial. It they oh. they land in a jungle and it's the city that we see in this episode is in that serial but it's in the middle of a jungle it's uh, yeah oh sorry marie uh, the same oh uh, the same city i think so it might look it might look a little was... different but it's meant to be like the dalek city there's there is just the one basically because i was just going to defend it because you've got on record previously about being annoyed that every time we land on a planet it's a city or a oh. jungle or a it, desert yeah don't get like, me wrong it's bullshit <laughs> desert and jungles on the same planet and we've just landed in a different spot. Maybe they moved the city. Maybe it got bombed to smithereens, and so they just renamed. Maybe these are the burbs outside headquarters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you know what? I'm so sorry. I stand corrected. You are so right. <laughs> <laughs> That's look at me! Totally look at me talking you up. <laughs> nice. I didn't think it was possible. <laughs> Yeah, so another thing about this cold open is we had Capaldi throughout Series 8 just being sort of generally dismissive of children. Can't remember their names. He's not interested in their names. Well, people and, in general. Yeah, people in general. A little girl comes up to the TARDIS and he goes, whatever you want, it's over there. It's far away from here. But Davros, he's actually engaging and trying to keep the little boy's courage up and asking him his name. And he seems a completely different guy from Series 8 already. But would you, you expect him to be so dismissive of, of Davros because he's a kid as to just let him die there before him? Well, I mean, this is another thing that's changed since last Christmas even. He was happy to leave the people in the base potentially to die if they hadn't figured it well, out. That's a good point, yeah. And and now, um, not only is he concerned for Davros's survival, but comes into sharpest focus when he's in the arena in Essex in 1138 and he is ordering Colony Saf not to harm a single person in the whole place. Everyone has to get out alive 
And this is something I haven't heard for a year. I haven't heard this since Smith. Capaldi has studiously avoided saying stuff like this, and now he's changed back. Is this because he knows that he is dying and he's having a change of heart in a way? Hearts. Apologies. <laughs> Does he yeah, already know that he's dying when he goes to Scarrow? I don't think so. Does he? But maybe you're right. Maybe it comes later. I guess we don't know how much time has passed between that episode and that. Oh. Not very long, I think. Uh, it's, not, it's not a question of his regeneration having run out of energy. I mean, this whole confession dial thing hasn't been explained yet. He seems to know that he is one whisker away from death somehow. Yeah. But I'm not sure that would motivate an emotional attitudinal reset. It, it just seems like he's tapped into something that he he had been ignoring for a while. Or Moffat has decided, you know what, I, I did my thing last year, making him a grumpy old man. I'm going to make him fucking sex bomb rock star charisma <laughs> magnet pants <laughs> melter of a doctor. Uh, mission accomplished, by the way. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think the, the confession dial, I think, has to come after the interaction with Davros. I think he effectively tried to leave Davros to die way back then. Oh, I the see. Future. You mean after he met little child Davros? Little child Davros, yeah. Realises that it, he didn't die. Maybe he was the one who created the monster. By leaving him to die, maybe he in the, you know inadvertently turned him into the man he became and then knows that he's going to have to go back and sort it out and that's what leads him to do the confession dial. I think you've just hit the nail on the head. And I also think, I mean, that's where he loses his Sonic. And when he shows up in Essex, in medieval Essex, he doesn't have the Sonic anymore. And uh, he even says to Clara, oh yeah, no, I I don't travel with the Sonic anymore. Or like, I've given up the Sonic. But I don't feel like he's just spent decades without the Sonic. He's literally just left the Sonic on Scarrow and he's gone to Essex to party it up and he's slowly but surely unraveling as a person. Yeah. So I feel like this is, how long does he stay, say, three weeks he spent in Essex. Yeah, yeah, so I think this is three weeks later. Yeah. For him, <laughs> obviously. For Davros it's hundreds if not possibly thousands of years. Yeah, he's ancient. He should have been dust centuries ago. Mm. I don't um, get freaking Dave. Oh, I'm sorry, I just cut you off there, Marie. Dave Ross, what is his deal? <laughs> 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 well, Dave Ross has had a sonic screwdriver for centuries. Yeah. Why has he never used it before? Why did he not recognise the Doctor when he met him in the form of Tom Baker? Or uh, Because he didn't look like the man that he met. He had to be Capaldi before he would realise. But Sonic, but Time Lord, <laughs> but TARDIS. He sees the TARDIS, right? Yeah, I do. Oh, I know, it's well, pretty misty it's on very, Yeah, it's quite fake. Okay, yeah. but he hears the sound of the TARDIS dematerializing. I, I, I mean, he, he, wait, hang on. The Doctor Can introduces himself a, as the Doctor. Can you remember a sound that you heard from when you were seven? I, and you were, you were clinging onto the swing for dear life and you thought you were going to fall off and die a sound occurred. Can you name that sound now? I can't say yes because I didn't have a near-death experience as a seven-year-old, but I'm pretty sure that within the Hooniverse, the sound of the TARDIS dematerializing is so iconic. It is meant to be that thing that no one can ever possibly shake, so that if you ever have even the most tangential contact with the Doctor, this will haunt you for the rest of your life. Take Elton in um, Love and Monsters as an example. I, like, d- dedicated his life to just bing, 
this little sparkle of the Doctor at one point, you know. Yeah. Or little Amelia Pond. Oh. Or Amelia Pond, yes, exactly. Yeah. I can yeah. remember the Swamp Thing theme tune from that one anecdote from when I was seven. Oh, me too, <laughs> from watching every episode of it as a kid. <laughs> yeah, but I only heard it once because they never played it again. <laughs> yeah, you win. That's the point. <laughs> QED. <laughs> <laughs> I have another question about that particular scene, by the way. Is oh, we can't j- talk about this scene enough. Keep carrying on. Is there just one Davros on Skaro? I was thinking that. How is this... how common is this name? Could exactly. this just not be a random kid that happens also to be called Davros? Yeah, I mean, what if that kid had gone like, oh, my name's my name's John. And the doctor goes like, no, the music swells in the background. <laughs> not John. <laughs> <laughs> TARDIS dematerializes in the background. John looks at the song and goes, oh, well, I'm buggered, aren't I? <laughs> But it's not, you know, it's not only on this planet because he doesn't know what planet he's on. So it's from all of time and space. Exactly. There has only ever been one Davros. Even if it is on Skaro, maybe it's 200 years before or five million years later. It, like, doesn't he, he, he doesn't even know they're on Skaro. He asks what war it is and the kid says, I don't know. It's yeah. just the war. He asks what, right. where they are and he says, I don't know. It's just yeah. this yeah. Like, yeah. it's Yeah, they, he doesn't give him any other information. It's only this one name. Oh, it's like Hitler. There's only one Hitler. No one's called Hitler anymore because Hitler was so bad. No one's called Davros anymore. I feel like people were called Hitler before Hitler. Yeah, I'm, I'm, oh, I see. The, assume the people are still called Hitler today. <laughs> there might just be a, a serious decrease in frequency of Adolf Hitlers in the world. Yeah. And, and I'm <laughs> sure like Adolfs in general, but Adolf is yeah. a pretty standard name, or at least was a standard name before that guy. So well, Yeah, just look at Adolf Eichmann. So... <laughs> Also non-Nazis. So if you go back a hundred years, you meet someone else who's called Adolf. Are you then automatically going to go, not Adolf? Like, this is also just one name. It's not like, you know, given name, surname, middle names, numerical values, however they... They don't have surnames on Scaro. But all the more reason for there to be multiples. (laughs) It's too big a risk. It's like, I might as well just wipe out all Davroses just in case they turn out to be the Davros. You never know. Yeah. We're going to kill every Davros. We're going to kill every Adolf. Problem The massacre of the innocent Davroses. (laughs) Oh, that poor sweet boy. I I think think the doctor has, has seen enough to have some sort of wibbly wobbly connection some certainty he knows that the TARDIS doesn't just take him places willy nilly it, it takes him to significant places I wonder where he thought he was going yeah bookshop but what, bookshop. what are the odds that he lands on Scaro? yeah he thought he was going to turn up at Borders just before it closed in the <laughs> clearance sale <laughs> yeah wipe him out <laughs> yeah hmm. he's got all those bookshelves to fill mm. Mm. yeah mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Can we um, step away from the bad guys for a second and talk good guys? Marie, how do you feel about Clara, your hero? <laughs> your favourite well, Doctor Who character? I feel like this setup has got her working for unit on a part-time freelance basis, maybe, mm-hmm. and she just randomly walks out of class and is like, ciao then, I'm taking a half day, see you later, and goes to unit, and then they're all like, Clara, what do we do now? Yeah, she's like running the about, show. She's running the show. There's a line about, we can't call the doctor, he won't turn up. 
we've got to have like hard evidence of what's happening before we can get in touch with him which implies like this has happened a lot and half the time they don't even get in touch with the doctor they just fix it themselves like clara's just saving the world whilst also being a primary school teacher or secondary school teacher and not in a particularly secretive way either I mean, I, yeah right after defacing school property by painting on the window unit just calls the the school and goes hi the prime minister wants to talk to one of your teachers <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. yeah we don't have a mobile number even though we call her every week or so <laughs> So, oh, that's true. <laughs> so how would you how do you guys feel like badass Clara compares to badass Martha? Because you remember Martha had a similar transition where Paul's yeah. doctor she started working for Unit. Yeah, I think she walked the earth for a year like Kane and Kung Fu, that's and right. then she worked for Unit. Like Kane and Kung Fu. <laughs> I actually think there was enough time. <laughs> I missed that. There was enough time between Martha leaving the show and then when we saw her back again and it was like she'd got this whole other career and she was working for Unit and she was really badass and I quite liked that. This thing with Clara just feels like they're trying to make her do everything and she's still supposed to be traveling with the doctor and she's working for unit and she's a teacher like it just feel like you couldn't do all those things like every other companion we've seen them struggle to hold a normal life together and be a companion and clara's just like no nah, i said it i'll do i'll, I'll have three jobs <laughs> yeah. are you saying clara isn't capable of this <laughs> i mean first make of her all, say it drew make her say it first of all <laughs> Right, just once, just once, Marie, I want to hear you say it. <laughs> At the very beginning, in the Bells of St. John, she was turned into this amazing computer hacker, and we've been lamenting her lack of skill since. In this episode, she finally seems to remember some of that. She's the foremost doctor expert in the entire universe, apart from Missy, but we'll get to that. She's been there throughout the Doctor's many lives and timelines. She knows more about Capaldi and what will activate his Scottishness than anyone else. And if nothing else, th this explains why she has such an enormous roof terrace now, because the <laughs> unit hustle the on unit the side money is, is good money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is Tower of London money coming in. <laughs> Only oh, does like an hour a month for them, and and like yeah, but the hourly raise, holy moly! Exactly. <laughs> She's got one of those unit mastercards. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Can you put a price on saving the world? Exactly. You can't. You, no. I, I mean, I, or you can, and the price tag is just prime property in central London, <laughs> Notting yeah. Hill property. But <laughs> yeah, they don't give her any money. They just just provide this apartment rent free. Paradoxically, I felt this was handled better than Badass Martha. I felt that Badass Martha was handled in the same. It was the same type of badassery that you'd normally find in, let's say, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Do you remember Buffy? the vampire slayer circa season four where she's in college and the, there's like this military operation operating on campus it's bullshit i love it but it's bullshit and that's what martha felt like that like the production value that went into the military operation and all she was she was just this yeah just like clara i guess <laughs> spouting all these one-liners that sounded vaguely militaristic and then touting giant guns and just, oh, i don't really like like it. In this one, it's almost like the teacher alter ego turns into a parody. I don't buy it for a second. It's super unrealistic. The Martha <laughs> version is more realistic where you have no life. All you have is your job. But yeah. I like this one better. Do you think she's keeping the teacher thing up just as a cover? It's um... the shittest cover ever if Unit calls the school. 
It's like, oh, sorry. Hey, all kids. Like, I just want to ensure that a whole generation grows up to know what I did in secret. <laughs> Tweet about this right now. Oh, by the way, this is the hashtag. Uh, planes are frozen or whatever. Planes stuck in the sky. Yeah. She's also a social media expert. Yeah. That's a really inconvenient hashtag. Thank you very much, Clara. You guys saying, oh, how can she just leave? You really think that if all the planes are frozen in the sky, they're going to have the afternoon double by? It was. It wasn't the fact that she left when the planes were frozen. It was how flippant she was about yeah, it, so and cavalier. it just felt like she does it like every other like Tuesday afternoon. There's a crisis, and she's just off. And Maybe they have Unit then comes back it. and just like Men in Blacks the whole school. <laughs> they all figure out. This is why she's still teaching them Jane Austen, by the way, because it's the same class <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's just her being efficient, which now you live in Germany, you should appreciate, Marie. Get on. <laughs> she, she isn't agonizing over how to order her priorities. She's just being like, right, this needs doing, world needs saving. Key stage three mock exams can wait, wait for later. I just feel like you only need to do that like a couple more times and you don't have a job to go back to. Oh, yeah. Like, 100%. You know how hard it is to find a good teacher. But ha- <laughs> has she actually done this before? Because the, the, the colleague who shows up, I don't know if it's uh, another teacher or if that's the headmaster, whoever it is that shows up and goes, th- th- they want you to talk to the prime minister. He seems Mr. Dunlop. He seems genuinely surprised by it. It's, it. He does not seem to know about her secret life. Because of all of units, it's men in blacking, as you've just said. Exactly. They are already overstretched. Danny Pink has just died. They, they, they are struggling to get a full roster of teachers. They can't afford to lose one more. That's true. And you can't sack a woman after her fiancé has just died, can you? <laughs> Playing the old, just, my, it, my fiancé got turned into a robot and then blew himself yeah. up in the sky trick. Oh, classic. Saved the world in the meantime. <laughs> 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 you wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for my fiance. <laughs> Come on, Clara, be original. <laughs> yeah. My my note in relation to all of this was when Clara is being badass across London with Unit and going to meet Missy, I feel like this episode is doing a better job of aping James Bond than Spyfall ever did when that's all Spyfall was trying to do. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. And also a better job than Martha Jones times. What yeah. about when who else uh we've seen River on a motorcycle being really badass. Motorcycle being really badass. We've well. seen Clara on a motorcycle being really badass at the beginning of Day of the Doctor. Yeah, we did. Oh yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. She likes a motorbike, does Clara? Yeah, she I did all... like her on the motorbike. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, and the the Tower of London guy who just walks out and just waves her on through without sure. It's just it's some person on a motorbike arrives and you just let them in. <laughs> Any brunette <laughs> with a with a flowery dress. <laughs> And uh, one of those, like the round helmet thingies. Yeah. <laughs> what are they called? Um, Helmets. That's what they're called. <laughs> one of those. <laughs> Anyone gets in. Those, one of those head boxes. What do they call them? She made out with Jane Austen, by the way. Yeah, she did. She just doesn't look impressed by that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a, that's an audible shrug from Drew. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what what more is there to say, really? Apart from yeah. I like it it's, it's usually the doctor who's always like, oh, she was a frisky one. And oh, it's nice there that is the that, yes. companion gets to have a little 
Do you think her uh, students just think that she's, you know, mad? Bananas, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah here's this totally bonkers teacher of ours. She's good fun, but she constantly keeps talking about how she's just making out with various literary icons. <laughs> yeah, and refusing to explain any of it. <laughs> constantly, like, doodling with magic markers on our windows. What's that about? <laughs> it does remind me of the most recent audio we reviewed, Leon, where Paul McGann, as the Eighth Doctor, is talking talking about how he met Isambard Kingdom Brunel and the other people in the scene are just supposed to let him go off on one just and not comment it. on it. Yeah. So, but this yeah, is something that the doctor... Doctory. It's very doctory, yeah, but it's something that the doctor I, I always does. Every doctor surely has done this. I can't really speak for Doctors 5 onwards well, f- <laughs> of classic, but certainly everyone in New Who and 1, 2, 3, 4, they all did it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the last classic that we reviewed, Tom Baker revealed that he wrote Hamlet. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, well, he yeah, he like techni- he wrote it while cuz Shakespeare had like sprained his wrist or something. So he was like, "You you write this." Uh, okay. Uh. <laughs> it's like Shakespeare's most personal play is about the death of his son. Oh, and oh, we didn't even talk about this in our review of it. Oh, past Jim and past me. What were we thinking? We even met Shakespeare later on in the Shakespeare code. Why is there no Oh, anyway. Fine, fine, fine. <laughs> It's in the past. Yeah. So what about the rest of Unit, then? We don't meet many of them. Kegels is there. Mm. Yeah, and she'll call the president back. And there's a new head intelligence person, it seems. I, I don't know if, wait, maybe that's an exaggeration. Certainly someone else who is very much central to unit operations, now that we've lost... An Oswin uh, replacement. Exactly, since we lost Oswin the last time. Yeah, I looked up the actress, and she was a lead prosecutor in an episode of Sherlock, and otherwise she's just... On telly. She she pops up, her face is extremely familiar, but I looked down her list of roles and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, all right. I mean, she did a passable job. It's not much of a role. Yeah, it was a very small role, but that's the only other unit representative we get here. I mean, we have yeah. Kegels, obviously, but Kegels is even doing virtually nothing. When they send someone to talk to Missy, Kegels isn't even in the background. They just wheel in Clara. Yeah. Just feel like if, if yeah, Clara's taking center stage and so everyone else just fades into the background but hey i missed oswin was so sort of quirky and immediately you knew what she was and then yeah this new woman is just a generic background person i don't even remember her name I don't remember her name either. I'm not sure they mention it. It's in the subtitles and on IMDb as Jack, J-A-C, like Jacqueline maybe. Oh, okay. Yeah, Yeah, they could have made her a little bit more interesting, I think, if they intended to bring her back. She might just be a filler character that's not going to come back, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember her in New Who in general, the way that I remember Kegels. But yeah, the when Oswin was first introduced, you knew that she was coming back. Like, she was a character that was, like, yeah, it's also very difficult to forget Oswin, given that she's just wearing every piece of Doctor Who memorabilia oh. there is. <laughs> the super fan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, they can bring Oswin back because surely her Zygon double is out there somewhere. Oh yeah, that's true. So, should we talk about Missy? We should. All right, take it away, Drew. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I'm going to start with Missy's disdain and contempt for Clara. Oh yes, here we go. Because it is palpable. She can barely bring herself to talk to Clara. Every 
word, every sentence for the first minute or so is just having to extrude itself through this sneer, this snarl of just antipathy. Like, <laughs> I really, do I have to sink so low as to ask you, oh, I can't believe this, how the mighty have fallen, i.e. me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I think that's fantastic, though, because that's exactly how Missy would like treat a human companion that she's got to ask for help. Like, yeah, she, I love she's, it too. She's priding herself now on being the doctor's best friend. Yeah, there's almost a, a competitive element to it. Yeah, really, between those exactly. two. Ever since he was a little girl, <laughs> she says something to the effect of, "Well, one of those three facts is wrong." But now we have seen since then we have seen the doctor as a little girl preceding this. I mean, his chronology, this point in his chronology. Mm -hmm. What were the other two points? He abducted the president, quote, I think she says, and the president's wife or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, I can't remember what the third thing is. But I I agree. Missy is, this version of the master, Missy is, oh, I mean, we've already talked about it, haven't we, in in prior episodes where where she's shown up. But I, I love the theatricality with which she delivers absolutely every line. And she's so incredibly confident, so so confident in a way that John Sim Master was not. John Sim Master was just a bully. He had tech or something else and he would just push people around. And and she doesn't even push people around for the hell of pushing people around. She kills someone because it doesn't matter, but because she knows it yeah. matters to someone else. It, yeah. it does, There's a very different point of view on humanity that is offered in the role of Missy. And she, holy moly, Michelle Gomez is just the best. <laughs> yeah, it is a very different take on it. John Sim, whenever he was thwarted or not obeyed to the absolute last degree of his will, he would grow infuriated. It was an enormous sense of entitlement in a way. Yeah. Like, like I, of course I'm the master, and so I deserve to have my every whim fulfilled, and if I don't get it, I'm going to throw a wobbly and have a big sulk. But Missy, she just rolls her eyes. It's very different. I wonder if there is a gendered element these char- that these actors are bringing to the role. Maybe. But do you think, n- not just in in the role of, of Missy uh, slash the master, but in general across New Who, is is New Who maturing in a way and, and maybe gaining a different level of profundity compared to prior seasons when we had John Sim, for example? That's slightly closer to that aforementioned Buffy side of the spectrum where everything is very clearly cut you know, uh, good guys versus bad guys. Everything's maybe slightly more cartoonish. The yeah. the bad guy doesn't need a plot that is any or or any kind of reasoning or rationale that is more profound than I want to rule the world. Whereas here, Missy has a personality. She has character depth and flaws and complexes. And I mean, she is a an elaborate and 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 multifaceted character within her own right. Yes, she has a friendship that's more complex than our civil. Yeah, that's a nice line. It is. Yes. I agree. With um, previous versions of the Master, have have they talked about them being like best friends as well? I know they're always arch enemies, but well, they went to school together. Yeah, because that's to... what they always talk about them growing up as 
friends when they were little kids and then going their separate ways and being at odds. But Missy is the first one that I can recall that comes, like, that turns it into a friendship. And it's like, why have you, we've spent this long to and fro, and of course it's a friendship. It's just a different, it's a type of friendship that spans eternity. So you, as a human, you can't comprehend it. I wonder if that's going to happen later on in Classic Who. So far, I, I don't really feel that that's the case. Uh, mm. up until, but up until now, we've only really encountered, I mean, we encountered Delgado, the, the first version, the first incarnation of the Master. And then after Delgado, Delgado, we've just, I think on just one occasion, maybe two occasions, yeah, sorry, two occasions, I think, we, we've encountered this burnt husk of, uh, like, a Skeletor master, yeah. who doesn't, isn't really capable of much other than just desperately screaming for flesh, you know, <laughs> as in his own flesh. But, no, they're, they're nemeses. They're very, again, on the Hanna-Barbera level of good versus evil, they are nemeses. It's like, oh, no, you can't absolutely, you can absolutely never trust that man he is the devil the, you know the master is evil here there's a yeah there's there's just a different level to it there's a different complexity to it yeah but you have to have that because davros is in the same episode that's true that's a very good point you can't but have two that... nemeses that aren't collaborating if you have them they, somehow he needs to be able to relate to one or the other in a way that he can't with the other yeah but i think missy's always had that with the doctor she's I think it was insinuated with John Sim as well, but it didn't work yeah. out. But like she's been, she's done things, and it's just like oh, it's just to get your attention, and it's but not in a oh. yeah. In in Death in Heaven, she does say, "I want my friend back." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not the first time we've heard it, and I think that's really nice that it does show the sort of grey to her that she's not just this pure evil monster cartoon. Yeah, character. I agree. Like she is probably lonely as well, and she's just lashing out because she doesn't know what else to do because she's bored because these lives they are like humans to a time lord are like ants are to us like the time that they live you know you just squish them without thinking but um the doctor has this really unique relationship but she doesn't have that there might also be um, an element of the yes we are antagonists you know we are good guy bad guy we are opposite forces but one can't exist without the other one constantly needs to chase the other and the other one constantly needs to be chased by the other because otherwise what's the point yeah, but exactly. I, I think when we had John Sim there was also not quite a B plot I mean it, there, there was some sort of side narrative about how yeah they went to uni together but at some point they diverged you know the the master stared into the untempered schism and went bonkers but actually he was a good guy he it was circumstance you know it was uh, it, it's the, the nature nurture thing like he was a perfectly normal uni students uh, on Gallifrey but then circumstance made him damaged him in a way and he can't really help it well, which I mean like the doctor kind of sympathises with him schism for too long it was his own bloody fault he should have just looked away when they told him to it was his abusive educators they they said go on have a good long stare and then <laughs> he didn't know what was going to happen I, I yeah, it's not his like fault. They, right? The risk the they were taking. Sorry, what, Leon? It, no, no, don't worry about it. Yeah, I was just saying, no, no, it's not his say fault. It. I want to hear it. I want to hear it with my ears. Say it, it wasn't his fault. It wasn't his fault. He was being greedy. Greedy for that schism. You've got an allocated 30 second look, and everybody gets one, and then you move on and let the next person take the turn. Just, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> took too many turns. Stop bogarding this untempered schism. <laughs> <laughs> You're hogging the schism, master. 
got schisms for everyone, man. <laughs> now, now, kids, there's enough schism to go around. It's <laughs> <laughs> like spotty teenager and, and making people call him master. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, everyone else has slightly more down to earth, more, you know, reasonable monikers, Gallifrey monikers. There's, there's the plumber, there's the chess player, there's the whatever, the carpenter, etc. It's like, the master? Spending every Saturday afternoon in a BDSM dungeon. Yeah. What about Missy's plan in this one? Why the whole plane thing? Flair. Yeah, exactly. But was it was it strictly speaking necessary? If she's in a hurry, was this really necessary? I think she you said really... she sorry, described it. Sorry, she described it as like a parlor trick. Like it was, super, it's easy to her. It's just something she doesn't even have to think about. And but it's a massive impact that will make Unit come find her. Yeah, and she gets to cause maximum panic along the way because she loves being an agent of chaos. Yeah. That's... Just enjoying it. Okay. She, she wanted to just call them on the phone and say, "Hey, I'm looking for the doctor. Have you heard from him?" No, I'm very pleased that she did this because this made for much better television. But <laughs> <laughs> if she is in a rush, if she, if her main objective is to find out where the doctor is, she's a time lord. She's never in a rush. That is also true. I realised that <laughs> as I lady. was saying it. Yes, <laughs> time lady. Yeah. Is this the first time in New Who that she's mentioned to be uh, 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 that we get a mention of time lady? I don't. I feel like not. No. Oh, that's a pity because the last Classic Who review that we, uh, Classic Who serial that we reviewed, had the first mention of Time Lady in Classic Who. Oh, very nice. Mm. Just one thing more on that scene: what couple walks their puppy through a square teeming with snipers directly <laughs> underneath a jumbo jet suspended in the air? <laughs> and also, unit, what are you doing, letting civilians through here? <laughs> like, I get that it's a piazza and Italians will remain <laughs> Italians, but like, come on. <laughs> Um, or if they're tourists, how engrossed in their Bedeker are they? Like, we are really lost. <laughs> they're doing that thing where you let your dog walk you, so it just goes That's where it wants thing. to, and they have to follow. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just focusing on how cute little Snuffles is, and then they look up and like, oh, shit. <laughs> okay, what idiot puppy walks their couple through a square teeming with snipers? Stupid <laughs> puppy. That's that's why we get the whole oh you're the puppy scene because people are just as dumb as this stupid puppy. Yeah, Clara leads the doctor into any amount of unnecessary danger directly <laughs> underneath falling machinery. The planes were redonkulous, by the way. Like, yeah. yes, there's a plane hovering right above this piazza, but then all the planes that we get to see around the world, fine, that's that's really great. Most of them looked looked realistic. I mean, as realistic as planes suspended in midair look. But, but then we got one plane that was just stuck about 20 metres above a swimming pool in the Costa del Sol. It's just like, would you fly that low, close to a hotel? That is, that is, hotel must have negative stars. It's a really nice hotel, you know, except that the, the freaking pool is 20 meters and like one trampoline bounce away from an airplane. Are you saying that you don't get hotels near airports? Not when the plane is landing. Do you... Do, I will you include shut the hotel every time a plane is coming into the land. <laughs> no, I'm include. No, but that's the thing. It's like it's landing in the swimming pool. It is so close to the ground in that one photoshopped image. <laughs> I swear the airport perimeter fence is just out of shot. <laughs> <laughs> screenshot on who back went. <laughs> Damn it! Now I have to get that screenshot. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, you're right. It is, it is a bit ridiculous, the, the uh, exaggerated lowness of some of these planes. Uh, but Marie, I feel like you were trying to say something and we were talking over Yeah, it. sorry about that. Oh, no, I don't know. Okay, never mind. Let's keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> How about Clara's bargaining with Missy? Did you like the to and fro? What did she, how did, what did she bargain with? I can't remember. Well, well, Missy is basically killing people left and right. And she's like, say something nice. And then Clara wrests the initiative back from her. So it's a baller power play move. She is very baller. Mm. Yeah, total badass. Though I do mm. feel that after this scene, Clara very quickly forgets that she saw her sort of co-companion of the episode murder two people right in front of her. Yeah. And also, she's just she gets over the fact that she saw two people die. Just suddenly switches into party mode. It's like, oh, the duck's having a leaving party. Oh, okay. yay, we're having a hug. Oh, cool, there's a tank in Essex. Yeah. You just saw two people wiped off the face of the earth. Just nah, she'll she'll worry about that eight hundred and seventy seven years from now. <laughs> Did you like Rock and Roll Doc? I loved Rock and Roll Doc. Such a dude. <laughs> and from what I could see, that was Capaldi playing. Really? I thought so too, yeah. Oh. I mean, I don't know if he was actually plugged in, but his his hands were certainly making a lot of the right shapes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Marie, what did you think? Mm, I think this was the thing, the, the first time around I watched it, I really didn't like rock and roll doc i thought it was way too overkill it's not it's not what i expected from the doctor in that time period like it's it's drawing too much attention to himself i just really didn't like it it just seemed too over the top this time around i think i enjoyed it more because i think i think maybe the first time around i hadn't warmed to capaldi as much as i could have by this point because you're right we've only seen him being really cold and really callous and like i don't care who these people are i don't care if these people die i don't want to know what your name is like he's so different to the doctors that came before him and i was so in love with matt smith it took me a really long time to get over how different they were and so this just felt like a like a big over the top thing and i wasn't ready for it whereas this time around i am fucking loving capaldi this time around (laughs) it's so awesome like i love him i love him so much so yeah i was a lot more forgiving of it this time around it's still i don't know it's still kind of i don't think it was as cool as it was trying to be but yeah it was better Okay. Grand. That'll do me. (laughs) I have spent most of Series 8, not to the extent of Star Wars still being disappointed in Capaldi, but being a little overwhelmed by how much of a git he was. I rather unhelpfully spoke with Leon about this after our review of An Earthly Child, about how back in 2014, I was actually then, I was much better able to countenance the Doctor being a magnificent bastard than I am now in 2020 when the world is falling apart and much of it is being asset stripped by the most horrible shitbags on the planet. Mm. And And now there's suddenly a greater need for a, a, a genuinely good person. Yeah, and yes, someone who is good and charismatic and not the sociopath male lead that we were getting with Sherlock and Breaking Bad and earlier on House and all that sort of thing. So yes, I I was I was glad at the time, and now I'm even more so that Capaldi is resetting his character for his second series, and that we're not going to have every character from Sherlock to Doctor Who to Father Freaking Christmas be moffatized and grey, and we're going to have some fun. I'm really looking forward to this series. 
I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, this is. And I'm really excited for all the two parters, and I remember being excited for all the two parters that we were promised back in 2015. I had forgotten that this is a season of two parters, right? To a large extent, yes. Oh, not only. Oh, okay. I thought it. I thought it was only two parters. I think there are three or four two parters. Because there's this yeah. one. There's the one. The the underwater one. Under the lake. That's the something one, yeah. else. I sort of remember there being a handful of not two-parters and, and them just feeling really short and like over too quickly and you can't... <laughs> like, I love a two-parter. <laughs> Because um, you just get so much more like character development and stuff. You've got more time to tell the story. So, yeah, definitely. Like, ones that aren't do suddenly feel rushed, I think. Maybe I'll be proven wrong, but that's sort of what I remember. You guys should absolutely join Jim and yours truly for some Classic Who reviews, particularly when we get to Trial of a Time Lord, which is a whole season of one storyline. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm very tempted by that one, but that would be a big commitment. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Right, hang on. Back to the thing. Doc is in medieval Essex. He's on a tank. Okay, well, actually, wait, hang on. Are there just a tank and a Stratocaster stuck in medieval Essex? Because well, the Daleks transport the, da- the TARDIS, but they don't take the rest of the yeah. stuff. And Doc oh. presumably doesn't go back and go, hmm, clean this up. <laughs> or is this why they get the little blips on the map of, oh, here are anachronisms. Oh, actually, oh, here's this one odd thing. I wonder if the Doc has anything to do with it. Uh, we found a freaking Stratocaster and a tank in medieval Essex. <laughs> yeah, someone's got a metal chimney that looks like it was stripped off a challenger. Exactly. <laughs> but I am wondering about the the anachronism here. What is the what is the anachronism? The anachronism is that the word dude is introduced six centuries too early. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Do you want to hear about the etymology of the word dude? Or do I ever, <laughs> Marie? Do you? Absolutely. <laughs> So it supposedly originated in the late 18th century as an abbreviation of doodle, as in Yankee Doodle Dandy, which was originally sung by British soldiers lampooning Americans during the Revolutionary War. So not only is a dude a dandy, but its proper spelling should probably be D-O-O-D. I wonder who spells it like that in their WhatsApp comms. Yeah, constantly. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, you're being linguistically pure, Leon. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> as, as the world's foremost practitioner of or, or user of the word dude, I mean, it only stands to reason. <laughs> I thought that was a fun scene, by the way. I I did not see the Dalek puppet coming, though, at the end of it. No, nor me. Mm, no. Was he a Dalek puppet the whole time? Or was he made a Dalek puppet somehow at the very end? What, by Colony Sarf? Because, yes, because he... He um sort of he gets bitten by breaks the snake. down choking. Yeah. And the doctor's like, Ah, oh, you swallowed a marble, right? And it's not really resolved. The snake slithers away. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I reckon that's Colony Sars doing. Yeah, must be. Yeah, I think he so was too. pretty awesome actually. He's, yes. It's a cool effect. When his face separates and becomes a bunch of snakes. Yeah, that's totally mm. badass. It's very badass. That's so cool. That's like the only thing I could remember from this episode, actually. <laughs> yeah, when he shows like, oh yeah, snake face is in this. Yeah. <laughs> like, totally forgot about snake face. The, the <laughs> Um, they never show the snake with the two eyes and a nose along its back. Though, I know. I would... as anus as a mouth. 
desperately <laughs> wanted to see those snakes. <laughs> I did feel that it was, it, oh, was. I'm trying to look for my note. Somewhere in here I've just written, oh, looks a bit, uh, this is like a snake face who shall not be named. You know, it, it, it looked very Harry Pottery, especially when it comes up and it starts talking. The snake is talking at him. It's like, oh, I, I very recently binged the box set, the Harry Potter movie. It's like, oh, yeah, no, actually, that rings a bell. Yeah. Well, I mean, how different can you make those two effects, really? Yeah, true. I like that he's a democracy. Yeah, that was a fun little moment. Yeah. There, there were bits of this that made me feel like it was a short story. I mean, Moffat's translation of short story to screenplay, I don't know how much of a difference there ever is there. But just little throwaway bits like that just, just feel like they're cool panels in a comic or cool paragraphs in a story that don't get revisited and they don't always make it to telly. So it was nice to see it. Yeah, I agree. It's really cementing that character or that species or that democracy as kind of believable in a way. In a way that wasn't necessary to further the plot. They didn't need to squeeze that in there. But that one line makes it such a well-rounded character. Yeah, and so much more authentically alien. Absolutely. Okay, so we've been skirting around a certain adult character. Does someone want to talk Dave? Oh, I love Dave! (laughs) Not everyone loved Dave! (laughs) The reveal of him, hearing his voice first... And then seeing his machine and, and it's obscured by tubes and medical equipment. And even though he's so incredibly weak and he can barely burble out the words, he retains all his malevolence and menace. I freaking love Dave. <laughs> yeah, me too. I so hope that Dave is coming back for the next R of the Dalek special. I feel like if they tell us months in advance that involves the Daleks, there has to be something they're holding back. Yes, it's Captain Jack, but I really hope that Davros is in the mix as well. It's about time. Must be. Must be. What is the next one, by the way? Is it Revenge of the... Revolution of the Revolution. Okay. Who's going to head that revolution, I ask you? Oh, Dave. Yeah. Che Devoira. It wasn't bad. It wasn't good. It wasn't good. better than dave guevara no that's so much better why didn't i go for dave guevara (laughs) (laughs) marie do you dig dave guevara yeah yeah he's all right he's all right he's all right (laughs) what (laughs) the total legend well i just feel like at this stage he hasn't done this he hasn't done anything new there's not anything there that we haven't already seen that is a fair point but is (laughs) Not the mere presence of Dave enough. (laughs) He's there, he's got his funky third eye. He's wearing one of those things that you wear if you hurt your neck. He's he's got a weird robot hand that for no reason has talons. (laughs) It's like metal nails, Dave. His robot hand is holding up his face, and then when it goes away, his face just like flops forward, like he can't even hold his own head up anymore. So it doesn't feel very threatening, I don't think. But despite that, he absolutely is. And I remember some of what happens next week. I also remember only one detail, in fact. I wonder if it's the same detail. Well, I remember that you get to see him open his proper eyes. Not what I remembered. Not Leon's detail. That was the biggest. Interesting. What's your detail? I I seem to recall that at some point he opens his jacket or his coat or something and we see that he's been taking cells from his own body to create the Daleks. Yeah, and he's barely got any left. 
Exactly. Is that this time? That's definitely not Series 4. Or is that Series 4? I don't four? know. As in Journey's End, etc. Oh, have we already seen that? I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll find out. Mm. Oh, maybe. I was nope. much more excited about the eye thing, but we'll get to that next <laughs> I don't remember it, but I'm super excited now. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like it's, it's very well done. It's nice to see him again, but it just didn't feel massively threatening. You, you don't feel the threat in the way he gets into Doc's head immediately. He He's so weak, but he's immediately drawing parallels between himself and Doc, and he's asking Doc the most difficult questions, the most searching, probing dilemmas that just leave Capaldi silent in response. He doesn't really have a response. He He's just, he's begging Davros at one point. He's practically down on his knees to this decrepit dying man in a wheelchair. Does that not tell you the power of the figure? Yes, all right, but the other thing sorry, is... Sorry, sorry, I just, I, I love him a bit too much. I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not trying to talk over you. I just, I just freaking no. love Dave. Podcast Land, if you have any fanfic just lying about, <laughs> send it in. Like, just send it in, okay? Yeah, it'll go on the website without a he- moment's hesitation. Just boom, <laughs> click, done, posted. <laughs> Drew favorite said immediately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sight unseen. Bookmark. <laughs> Sorry, Marie, go uh, ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, so, so, New so homepage. Da- Doctor is trying to, is uh, begging Davros to like call off the Daleks. So Clara and Missy are in the room with all the bunch of Daleks in. You mean after like, Missy and Clara have clearly been teleported out of there? Yeah. What? Okay. <laughs> That's not true at all. You, we get to see Missy's skeleton. That is. That is exactly yeah. how people die when they are shot by Daleks. That's consistent. Yeah, that is true, but does he? But that's the thing. It does. It just that doesn't feel like. I do not believe for one second that Missy and or Clara have died. Yeah, that's why I'm saying they. they yeah. uh, sorry, that's why I'm saying like, oh, clearly, quote unquote, they've teleported, like yeah. because they cannot have been exterminated. But you see Missy. You do see Missy's skeleton, and it that's feels true. like a death. But, but then, the last time we saw a Cyberman laser yeah. Missy, I'm I'm pretty sure it looked very much like when a Cyberman shoots yeah. someone. And all we get this week is, surprise, I'm not dead. And there was no explanation whatsoever. It's just, I'm here. Yeah. So oh, because were she to give that explanation, we would immediately remember that. Half an hour later, when it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, good point, Marie. Yeah. But I, I believe that Davros absolutely has power and control over the Daleks, and he is just sadistically leading the Doctor along. Like, of course, I couldn't use the power, Doctor. Look how weak I am, and it's all a malicious act. I love it. <laughs> Davros is more of a Palpatine in this one. In Classic Who, when Davros first showed up in Genesis of the Daleks, he was like he was more of an active character, and now he's just he's the the boss. He's very Palpatine in the sense that he doesn't actually do anything. He kind of sets policy for the Daleks, but he doesn't order them around. He doesn't go out and execute orders himself. He he doesn't like you know he doesn't do anything. He just sets the tone for that entire species. He's like the Imagineer for the Daleks. Yeah, exactly. He's the executive consultant of the Imagineer of the Daleks. (laughs) Oh, he sounds scary now. Executive (laughs) consultant. (laughs) But I kind of get what you're saying, though, Marie. I'm like, he doesn't doesn't do much in this one. He just sits there. He's not particularly threatening. He's never got his finger on a button. He's, you know, he's never pulling a trigger. He's he's not doing anything like that. He's just there. And this is what I mean as as the Palpatine. In Star Wars, people fear Darth Vader. They don't really feel, fear Palpatine. Palpatine yeah. is just a... He happens to be the bureaucrat in charge, even though he's the most powerful. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what this decrepit nemesis is doing in his tube chair. I think you guys are being incredibly cavalier and presumptuous. I'm going to be a little more wary around crafty old Dave. <laughs> but we'll see next week. Maybe maybe he's got more to him than I uh, than I'm giving him credit for. <laughs> I definitely remember Dave turning. <laughs> oh, very good, very okay. good. Mm. Oh, looking forward to that. Uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't say that we get to see every conceivable variant of the Daleks variant of the Daleks in this one. <laughs> the one that everyone likes talking about is the special weapons Dalek that shows up in this one. You only get to see it in a couple of shots. I only know it from most Kodak moments <laughs> of the seventh Doctor. <laughs> so, lots of different kinds of Dalek. I think the first Dalek that we get to see, when Missy first identifies the nipple as a building and the city as the Dalek city on Scarrow, unfortunately, Marie, sorry, one city. But, the the first Dalek that shows up there, I think isn't even a classic Who Dalek. I think it's a Dalek from the Peter Cushing movie. Wow! I think really? so. I, I think it's that. Or, sorry, maybe it is a classic Who Dalek, but because the classic Who serial was in black and white, we never get to see the color, whereas in the Cushing one, they are that sort of metallic blue, which that Dalek totally melotally is. Very exciting stuff. Yeah, I like it, that. That's a left field choice. Right? It is bold. I feel like Moff in this in this episode is nothing short of just he throws caution to the wind like he's ambitious in everything he goes for he, he Davros is dying what and Scarry's rebuilt amazing the master is also in it there's just and the doctor by the way is dying tomorrow there's so much he's leaving nothing on the table mm. and and now he's bringing bloody peter cushing daleks in as well just to screw with people's heads. i think i think there is at one point there is a really simple looking dalek it almost looks like a sort of bucolic rustic dalek like, like a, a really retro not not even retro is in the 60s but just simple and basic i i will look for it and i will send you a shot of that oh because yeah please do i was really confused by it i don't know when they would have ever looked like that hmm. so okay okay tom baker is talking about a child growing up totally evil yes which classic serial is that from you didn't know in 2015 but i think you have reviewed it by now oh right that is from genesis of the daleks okay. that's a serial in which the doctor tom baker i'm sure we must have talked about this in other new who reviews as well but it, it's the, the Doctor faces a very similar dilemma to the one that he faces in this one. In Genesis of the Daleks, that's where we first meet Davros. We, we, first, we meet his first Daleks, both in and out of the shell, outside of the tank. And um, the Doctor has the opportunity to eradicate exterminate, if you will, all the Daleks before they've even been created, just by crossing two wires. There's a Kodak moment, one of the Tom Baker screenshots, I'm sure if you just look for Tom Baker Dog 2, one of the main screenshots is going to be of him holding two wires close to each other and just going, like, basically, should I, shouldn't I? And if he were to touch them, he would kill Daleks. There would never be, like, he would destroy a species before it even has a chance to exist, and he chooses not to. Maximum extermination. Exactly, and there, and that's where he goes, yeah, but if you have the chance to murder a child because you know that that child is going to grow up to become a despot who then is responsible for millions of deaths, would you do that or would you not? Surely you couldn't. Here he is actually faced with that choice. So it's no coincidence that we get that 
little shot of Tom Baker in Genesis. It's a very nice parallel. Okay, so why doesn't he do it in Genesis of the Daleks? Does he provide any reasoning? Because it would be wrong. It would be genocide. It would be genocide right. of the Daleks rather than Genesis of the Daleks, and, and he chooses not to because that's not what the Doctor stands for. Okay. So just as you have, just a moment ago, you were saying you love that the Doctor is having this sort of change of heart and he's becoming a better person. In actual fact, he is now going back on that one thing that he defined himself as a good person because of. That that's that's how that's the cliffhanger of this episode. It's him going, Yeah, that one time when I said I'm a good person so I don't kill children. Ah never mind. Exterminate. I think it's really interesting that it's two wires that he has to cross will kill the Daleks, whereas this time round it's the it's inaction that he thinks will kill Davros. So rather oh, like, nice, yes. save it's not that he has to pull a gun and like kill a child. He just has to walk away and let nature take its course and he thinks that Davros will die if he's not there to save him. That's so true, yeah. Because yeah. it's like it's like the like the trolley problem. Do you change the course of the train to kill one person rather than five? And a lot of people won't because like it's not up to you to decide if the train like if you weren't there the train would kill those five people anyway but if you choose to turn it you're effectively murdering that one person yeah that's true mm. but yeah but now at the end of the episode it, he is going back with the intent to murder like he's gonna go and find him i like that as an observation that's really yeah exactly it's the like the inaction versus the active choice to do something to alter yeah i mean you could definitely make the argument that no at the end of that intro by the fact that he leaves his sonic in the hands of davros which apparently is what saves him, I'm assuming. Yeah. He basically just prime directives him. Just goes like, yeah. no, I'm sorry, kid. I mean, you know, I'll give you a Darwin Award, <laughs> but <laughs> you're yeah. Deadsville, you know. Yeah, and this is a direct continuation of what we had in Death in Heaven where Missy provides the Doctor with an army and he's like, you know what? The best way to get out of this is cowardly in action. Hooray! If I'm only indirectly responsible for it, then my conscience is clean. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but brings us back to the ending. So he sees his best friend Missy and his companion Clara be killed in front of him. And, and the TARDIS. And the TARDIS gets <gasps> And the TARDIS! Yeah, that's terrible. And then he decides, I'm going to go back, I'm going to find Davros, I'm going to kill him before any of this has started in order to save my friends. Is that not, that's like complete... Oh, it's a paradox. Yeah, this is, a, and that's the thing that he's always saying that he can't do, because if he goes back in time to save his friends, then his friends will never die to make him go back in time to save his friends. So that's like his one rule that he always sticks to. Yeah, true. Good point. I mean, paradoxes do exist in this universe as well, as in, in the universe as well. Yeah, get out of that one. It's almost... It's, it's anti-Bill and Ted logic. <laughs> How are you going to do this, dog? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we're mixing up cause and effect, aren't we? He was always going to have done this. So if he's always going to have done something temporally predates the stimulus that sends him back in time to go and do that. But he was Is always going... No, no, no. He was always going to prevent the stimulus that set him on the path that would then eventually lead him to go back and do this. Yeah. That I does not work. Because just he actually says, I'm going to save Clara the only way that I can. Which uh, is he says, respect. I'm going to save my friend. Oh, his friend, yeah. Whom is he referring to? Yeah, wow. TARDIS. Definitely TARDIS. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> 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 he is inside the TARDIS on a more, far more regular basis than he's inside Clara or Missy. <laughs> <laughs> you can't argue with that logic. No, that's true. That's true. Uh -oh. <laughs>
That's true. Speaking of which, loved watching Missy tickling Dalek balls. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, she's so much fun. <laughs> so much fun. Oh. And really, also, forget the expression, but it's that's also a ballsy move to, I mean, to include that <laughs> in, a f- in a family show to have like, hey, just, you know what? Have your character clearly tickle the scrotum of this this evil alien. <laughs> so, segue. <laughs> <laughs> really? You can segue away from that. <laughs> Sorry. Are you gonna are you gonna bring up another ball of move? Uh, uh no, I, I only have a few more notes left on my list that we haven't already talked about, but among them are there are a number of classic who references. A few of them we've already talked about, or, or, or I mean, we, we literally just talked about that that one scene with Tom Baker and yada yada yada. But we also get. I've made a note of three possible versions of Atlantis get mentions. Oh yeah, which mm-hmm. is I, I think really fun because we do genuinely get to see three different versions of Atlantis in classic Who. Atlantis. Actually, now I can only remember two of them, but we see Atlantis sinking twice, or we get two different explanations, sorry, for Atlantis sinking. Entirely disparate uh, explanations. I mean, canonically incongruent (laughs) serials in Classic Who. One... Maybe both are Troughton, actually. Certainly one is Troughton. But regardless, we get to see different versions. Oh, yeah, sorry. Troughton and Pertwee is what it is. And they make no sense on, you know, on their own. They absolutely don't... They contradict each other. So I think it's kind of fun that we get Unit here making a point of, yeah, there are a few plot holes in in this rich history of Doctor Who. Anyway, sorry, just an aside. Right, okay, well, we have dissected this episode to to a great extent. How about we summarise that? We wrap up this dissection in a set of uh, ratings? Let's! And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings! You know what I can't understand? No, what, Drew? 6.54 million people watched this in the UK upon first broadcast. Only 5.71 million tuned in for The Witcher's Familiar the next week. How can 830,000 people be so wrong? What were you doing on the 26th (laughs) of September that couldn't be postponed? If I had to introduce someone to Doctor Who, I would definitely not choose this episode. Because it'd only send my inductee crazy with frustration trying to find another episode as good as this one they would watch entire series at a time whole doctors and none would come close i haven't watched this one again since it first aired and we did our instant reaction review and i knew it'd be brilliant and i wasn't disappointed one little bit and many times in the past i've been looking forward to an episode and oh i've deflated massively here (laughs) everyone is on form they are turning up and they're delivering for a marquee release i sat watching the screen with a feverish grin on my face for all but about 10 minutes it's dark but it isn't performatively dark it isn't shove it in your face dark it isn't here are loads of skeletons in a cathedral and everything's gray and every other word is death clara dark or at least it didn't feel like i was being slapped across the cheeks with it perhaps because missy was delivering much of it as nick would say it's show don't tell dark i only found two things in this episode less than excellent definitively there have been contentions raised in our discussion but i feel like I'm not fully convinced or I have a counter-argument. Both of the things I didn't like are callbacks. There is a straight repeat of the line about hugging being a way to hide your face. Mm. And Moffat just reveling too much in that moment of, oh, that was a good one I wrote, wasn't it? Yes, it was, but we got the DVD. Fuck off, Moffat. Stop (laughs) sucking yourself off. 
And then there's the Hey Missy, You're So Fine reveal, which reminded me of how much I didn't like it in Death in Heaven, but at least it served a purpose here. Those two things, and the fact that I remember next week's episode being even better, are the only reasons I'm taking any points off. You mentioned Bill and Ted logic. I love Bill and Ted. Your barbs have no sting. Must see TV 4.9. 4.9? Yes. This is better. That's what I remember. Only one way to go from there, Drew. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Marie, would you like to go next? Oh, no, you go. You go. You sure? Yeah. She wants to put some space in between a 4.9 and a (laughs) (laughs) 1.8. I wonder which direction I'm going to go with this. If I start by saying, Stephen Moffat, you magnificent bastards. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had absolutely forgotten. I still now don't really remember that we have reviewed this episode before. <laughs> but I'm assuming I was super begeistered, super duper just head over heels with this episode back then as well. Because holy moly am I now. The Doctor shows a new range. He's showing a new depth, emotional depth that we haven't seen in, we already talked about this, but the Capaldi Doctor specifically is, he's having a moment of introspection, possibly instigated by approaching the end of his life and re-evaluating all of his moral choices. It's super interesting to see. We get badass Clara, who is the worst secret agent ever, but still an amazing super spy somehow, and I loved watching every kitsch moment of it, to the degree that I hope it continues, at least for a little bit. Wonderful stuff. Missy. We have gushed over Missy every time that she has showed up already. I don't know what else I can say about Missy aside from the fact that she echoes all those bits of my favourite Delgado master that I've been missing in... in missing? In Nemesis in <laughs> New Who. To me, in this one episode, Dave is part of this uh, panorama, this pantheon of stuff that is being alluded to or set up for the next episode and re-established and so on, but without really doing that much. Like, so much is being re-established in this episode, but only exactly the right amount of stuff is actually happening on screen. And it's perfect. It's You mentioned in your... The, the one bullet point that I added while you were doing your mini-drew was that you mentioned don't get anyone to start watching Doctor Who by showing them this episode. And I think that's... I agree with that 100%. And the immediate flashback that I got was of um, someone I haven't been in touch with for years and years, but at the time, uh, a buddy of mine showing me a season finale of Smallville, a show that I never (laughs) watched, (laughs) and just going, look at this, look at this finale, look how awesome it is. And it wasn't even the finale, it was just the concluding like 10 minutes of a season finale. And in it clearly were being set up and alluded to and referenced tons of characters across multiple seasons of this show I didn't know. And I think the way that I felt there was exactly the way that any new potential Whovian would feel if they were introduced to the show with this episode. But we, because we have been entrenched in the show and we love the show so much and we know so much of the show already... We only need these little pinpricks of references. We only need to have a teeny tiny bit of light flash through that <laughs> prick hole. <laughs> 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 Sorry, I can I can resist. It, we only need that teeny tiny sparkle in order to to get it and to appreciate the totality of Doctor Who, and that this episode does that incredibly elegantly. So. 
please don't let part two be a letdown. Please let part two be just as amazing in this one. <laughs> I haven't gone quite as high. I've written 4.7. <laughs> oh, that's not what you gave it back in 2015. What did I give it back in 2015? 4.9. Really? <laughs> yeah, you and Nick both. No, what? I'm so sorry. <laughs> Past me, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> hey Marie, do you want to ground this in some sort of reality for us? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I just feel like I would have really liked to have sat in a room with both of you and watched it with you and got as hyped up as you are. <laughs> because oh, no. it just doesn't feel like I watched the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> It was it was a bit like I I really enjoyed it. It's a really solid episode. There's a lot of really really good things. I really like the intro is so slick and cool. The like and the the hand mines come out and they are terrifying. And the little the poor little child is not a terrible actor. He's fine doing what he does. I didn't hate him. Don't take points off of That's him. That's true. Very true. Yeah, you know the drama that you find out that it's Davros. I liked all the the little build up of like how can we find the doctor? We're looking for him everywhere. The snake guy was really cool. Yeah, like the like the build up was fantastic. I really really enjoyed it. It is just it just felt like they pushed certain things just slightly too far. So Clara working as a secret agent, yes, it's very cool. But if you just stop and think about it for any length of time, it just it just sort of slightly falls. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> Missy is phenomenal. Like I cannot rave enough about Missy. She is my all-time favorite, and everything she touches is golden. <laughs> so she is fine, and and I really really liked Missy and Clara's. <laughs> like interactions when they're escaping from the little world and they realize that the little uh, station and they realize there's not a space station it's just a building and we're on a planet and they're like delicately treading on the nothing and like kind of walking in the universe it's really beautiful but then as you pointed out leon missy's just murdered two people in cold blood and clara's dancing with her like it just like as much as i love missy and i you look past her like she is cold-blooded murderer but she's so charming and so funny and just and just brilliant and charismatic but if you were clara would you really be treating her like that and would you be so carefree around her i don't know yeah so things like that and yeah and the the ending just fell flat for me i just don't feel like i i feel like if maybe it's not enough for them to be held at gunpoint because every every two-parter we have has the, either the doctor or the companion or both or whoever in an inescapable situation and there's no possible way they get out of it and then in the second part they get out of it and it's normally a letdown and so they kind of pushed it that little bit further and they've both been killed but I just feel like <laughs> at no part of me believed that either of them were actually dead <laughs> So it lost the impact that it was going for. So I get why I get why they did it, but it didn't have the, the yeah, it didn't quite work for me. And again, the doctor like just rushing to the rescue. I'm gonna go back in time and save everybody. Just sort of didn't ring true either. How does he go uh, back in time without his TARDIS? Exactly. Time travel. Doesn't he have a no? I don't know. Oh yes. To Maldon. Nasty time travel. <laughs> So, 
I think I, I do have a more balanced view of it than you two, if that's at all possible. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I loved I loved it. It's a great, great episode. Lots of really, really good things, but just a few points where it wasn't quite there for me. And I do feel like the episodes that I super, super love, because we've had this before where I you've pulled out flaws in shows and I've just gone, I don't care. I fucking loved it and I'm going <laughs> to still give it a four point whatever. I feel like they're the ones that are a bit more emotionally driven and I have a bit more heart and I like feel connected to them and I feel like they should have had this it was aiming for this with the doctor's confession dial and it's his last night on earth and he's talking about his best friends and I don't know I just didn't it didn't tug on my heartstrings in the way that I wanted it to so I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to go that high I'm going to stick with what I came in here thinking which was a 3.6 wow. what <laughs> <laughs> the slow clap drew <laughs> no, no, you're absolutely fine with the 3.6 yeah <laughs> Okay. Yeah, that, that is definitely the rational, logical, professional review of this. What a robot would give it. No, <laughs> what a an emotionally mature grown-up who doesn't live in their parents' basement. Who've <laughs> had their emotional inhibitor turned on successfully. <laughs> But I am looking forward to the second part, and I hope you're right, Drew. I hope it is better, and we'll uh, we'll see how it goes. Oh, I think so it's better exciting. than a three point six. Better than a four point nine. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have much wiggle room there. <laughs> right, shall we have a listen to Podcast Land? Let's. This love is now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max two fifty, or it would get out of hand. Shazamatron, and welcome to the listener mini section of this podcast episodes. We've got a fair few listener minis. Thank you, everyone who sent something in. First up again is Eccleston is Best. Welcome back, Eccleston is Best. Good to have you back, Eccleston is Best. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> it's good to have you back. <laughs> Eggleston is Best starts. The last Dalek two-parter in New Who so far. Davros wants the Doctor, and the Doctor is going to die. Clara and Missy get shot. Hilarity, mainly provided by Missy, ensues. And Eccleston is best gives us some Santarans, aka things I liked. Hmm. The return of Davros. Thumbs up. Return of the Missy. The w- wildest variety of Daleks in one episode since the Asylum of the Daleks. Oh yeah. Uh, everyone's favourite thimbles are here. Supreme, sect, special weapons, and even originals. I didn't see... Wait, which one is Dalek sec? Oh, is that is that Dalek sec before he turns into human Dalek? Splo- yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. Must be. That's, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, well done. Next on Tauren, trip back to Scaro. <laughs> <laughs> Cameos by the Ood, Hath, Sisters of Khan, and the Shadow Proclamation. I like them. Fight me. Mm-hmm. Missy was funny. Yes, she was. Medieval dudes. <laughs> Return of the Dalek and Endless Dalek Night soundtrack. And the hand vines were creepy, and we finally get to see a good child actor. That's what you said, Marie. Is what I said. <laughs> yeah. Eccleston is best also provides a few big slaves. (laughs) In brackets, problems with the episode. (laughs) Drew, what's the first big slave? (laughs) 
Oh no, the Doctor is going to die permanently, no matter what. Where have we seen that before? Let me think. Maybe the end of time, the wedding, river song, or by chance, the time of the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Echoes in his best second. Big slave. You just need one thing, me. You need a time lady to show you how it, the TARDIS, works. B.S. Missy, haven't you seen (laughs) The Chase? Well, I don't understand any of that. (laughs) That's a good point. In The Chase, classic Who serial, The Chase, which Uh, I maybe once or twice has come up in one of these Who Back When reviews. (laughs) Yeah, very rarely. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the Daleks have their own time machine. They're chasing the Doctor through time and space. So, Which is why they just shoot a point blank, because they obviously don't need her. Yeah, they told some old don't need her. Yeah, ex- no, you're right. That's exactly... <laughs> yeah, uh, Eccleston is best. You heard it here first. <laughs> Next, Big Slave. Why the snakes? Yes, Davros is pure evil, but why walking or slithering serpentine democracies? Next, Big Slave. The moment Eccleston is best saw the hospital... Eccleston is best knew it was Scaro. Ah, nice mm. observation. I just thought nipples. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the final. Big slave. <laughs> <laughs> How is that Dalek patrolling the perimeter of the city? It is an original Dalek type, but it does not have the power dish on its back or the extra power cells. Excellent mm. point. We talked about this in a recent review. I can't remember if it if it was a new who or <laughs> I can't remember if it's new who classic who or audio who, but going way, way back, the Daleks needed static electricity in order to move. So they, they needed to move on a metal surface that was conducting static electricity. Unless they were wearing this sort of Tron frisbee on their backs. <laughs> cool. Yeah, very nice Ooh. observation. So, um, yeah. Eccleston is best has concluded with a rating, namely, of 3.9 muddy fingers on a weird eyeball ground ant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty gross. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Thank you very much. Eccleston is best. Thanks so much. Next up, we have the guitar-playing awesome Alfie. (laughs) Hello, Alfie. Hi, Alfie. Hi, Alfie. Alfie begins, The magician's apprentice was kind of cool. With the return of Missy, with her sharpened stick and the OG Dalek at the end, it gives the fan a lot to look forward to. However, I don't know why Davros had to send Voldemort. <gasps> that was Voldemort! Your... That's what I said! <laughs> why Davros had to send Voldemort back to tell the doc to see him. Also, I don't know how they even can go to Scarrow, as I thought it was time-locked. And how did old Davy Ross. Wait, that's not a typo. It's just a cool new name for him. Did we? Wait, Drew, that's what you said. I know. (laughs) Alfie, holy moly. Get out of our brains. Did old Davy Ross survive the explosion at the end of Journey's End? It was cool to see the Shadow Proclamation. The episode was on the okay to good scale, so guitar playing awesome Alfie will give this a 3.3. From the tank riding, guitar playing, awesome Alfie. (laughs) Thank you very much, Alfie. Thank you, Alfie. Nice review. Who we got next, Marie? I think we've got Mr. Davidy. He's Davidy. He's Davidy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, David. <laughs> Hi, David. 
Welcome so, back, David. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome. David, he begins. So, you're telling me there's no Matt Smith, no Amy, no Rory, and no Danny Pink. Can it really be? There isn't an irritating fucker in Doctor Who for once. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Capaldi looks better with more hair. While it feels a bit weird bringing Missy back so soon, I really like her being a sort of pseudo-companion for a bit. The whole stopping planes thing is best not thought about too much. Yeah, true. Mm. Lots of Genesis of the Daleks callbacks. Trying to imagine what a battalion of clam drones would look like. Good moral dilemma with young Davros. Sorry, David, it's now Davy Ross. And it's so (laughs) nice to see all the different Daleks, even the special weapons one. Where'd they dig that up from? I can tell you, David E., they got, had some of the Daleks from the Doctor Who experience in oh, this episode. So sad. So sad. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, and David E. continues, All in all, a genuinely fun episode. I'm usually disappointed by the second one of a Moffat two-parter. We'll see. David E. does wonder why it's called The Magician's Apprentice, though. Random episode title generator? Yeah, maybe. Because he's called a magician by his combatants in the arena. And The Apprentice is... Clara? The... Missy? I think... I think Clara. Wait. I think Clara is wait, also... Wait, no, 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 no. Next week. Wait, wait, wait. Dave. Oh. Young Dave is the magician's apprentice. He even gets the wand in the beginning. He, he tells him he looks like... Does he say he looks like a magician in the beginning? Or no? Well, that. everyone says he's a magician. He introduces himself as a magician in in Essex. He does, yeah. But little, little David doesn't say anything. No, that's no, true. No, not even at the end when he says... How did you get around behind me? Is that some sort of magic trick? He doesn't say the the last part. No, but that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah that would have been really ham fisting at home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, awesome. Uh, yeah, thank you very much, David. You've you, you, you've made us ask an important question and possibly answer it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, David. Next up, we have um, one of these new, new reviewer. <laughs> And this one really rocks. It's Eddie Rock. Eddie Rock! (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Eddie. Welcome aboard. Super happy to be traveling down this temporal road with you, buddy. I do say the same thing every time. (laughs) (laughs) People write in purely to hear you say that. (laughs) So what does Eddie say? Hey there, who back when, says Eddie Rock. Long-time listener, first-time writer. What an episode for my first mini. Any episode with Missy is made exponentially greater just by her presence. Needless to say, she blows my mind in this one. Her friendship with the Doctor is encapsulated perfectly here. She has so much fun, it's impossible not to love slash hate her. (laughs) True that. And Clara is a boss from beginning to end. Excuse me, class. I know there's crazy shit going on with the planes, but this secret government organization is calling me as she then proceeds to stroll into unit and basically solve everything hands down the most capable modern who companion capable good word yeah Mm. (laughs) eddie rock rock continues the doctor somehow manages to pull off surly old guy and badass rock god cruising into a fighting pit on a tank dude if the sunglasses weren't sonic they would not have cost this episode points hate the sonic sunglasses you know what i'd forgotten that they were sonic Mm. yeah because it doesn't come up so that's true that's true that's true yeah let's not judge it based on it just yet (laughs) but good observation eddie rock continues astutely in my opinion davros (laughs) is perfect in this 
Even in his weakened state, he manages to pull off his earned title of major series villain. He's genuinely creepy and threatening without even lifting a finger. Without even lifting a metal talon. (laughs) (laughs) Though, Colony Sarf is dumb and so cheesy he makes me cringe in a bad way. In summary, Eddie loved this first part and gives it a 4.5 out of 5 forehead stalked Vikings. Keep up the good work and see you in part two. Whoop whoop. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much, Eddie. People who are not Eddie Rock, please go and follow Eddie Rock on Twitter. Tell him hi from us. Eddie Rock can be found at the Eddie Rock. All in one word. Thank you very much, Eddie. And then we have, um, at the moment, so far, one more mini. Who's this, this, this guy from? hasn't Who's sent in from? a mini since Blink. What? What? Who Long is it, pray tell? This one Marie, is from... can you shed any light on this? I think it might be Jimmy the Who. Uh, Jimmy the what now? Jimmy the Who. That's right. <laughs> I always hear you saying that and that's when I know the podcast is coming to an end (laughs) yep makes sense yeah (laughs) so what does Jim say wow Jim has a lot to say Jimmy begins uh, the life of little Davy Rosario hasn't been easy up to now he was born shortly before a galactic war spilled onto his otherwise otherwise insignificant planet and he has seen more deaths than any soldier should have let alone a child of ten his days mostly consist of sheltering at home with his mother and occasionally making raids on local food warehouses it may not be much of a life but his mother has a way of turning the most mundane things into games <laughs> such as shadow puppet pictionary and cockroach buckaroo what i'm loving it okay there are still some other children around as well and davy's mother lets him play with them at least once a week out in the nearby fields war finally catches up to davy of course when he is separated from the other children in the field one day scared out of his mind he freezes as he is surrounded by gunfire and soldiers one soldier walks up to him non-threatening and calm without warning a hand mine grabs the soldier and pulls him into the ground ten more hand mines sprout up around davy a voice comforts him through the mist and an even stranger device lands at his feet the owner of the device asks davy for his name and he replies with the name he gives all the children davros in summary a generally decent episode with some massive liberties taken with character relationships plot developments identification of mortal enemies and the unquestioning march of inevitability (laughs) jimmy the who gives this controversially (laughs) questionably a 3.6 out of (laughs) 5 that's okay he had me a cockroach buckaroo (laughs) (laughs) excellent rating jimmy the who Thanks so much, Jimmy the Who, for sending this in. (laughs) People who are not Jim, please say hello to Jim online. He can be found at Jimmy the Who. Jimmy the what now? That's Jimmy the Who. (laughs) Excellent branding. Bing Bong, Fugee on here, recording one more listener mini that came in after we had recorded this episode. This one comes from Michael Ridgway. Ridgway. Hello, Michael. Hmm, very big. Michael starts with some likes. First like, the return of the Seventh Doctor's archenemy, the special weapons Dalek. Obviously Davros and Missy were good too. <laughs> Snake dude on a hoverboard, more of him please. The sisterhood of Khan. 
Flashback to the Thal Khaled war on Skaro, the biplane with lasers and creepy bio hand mine things. Yeah, very cool. And last like, the what just happened shock exterminations of Clara, Missy, the TARDIS, and Mini Davros. Gee whiz, I certainly hope you're not just teasing the audience with a bunch of, quote, deaths that you are going to wussy out of in part two. That would suck. Michael adds, this is to be continued in brackets with many, many boofs. Oh, no. (laughs) In summary, says Michael, the medieval scenes, yawn aside, Davros and the master slash Missy in one episode. What a treat. Plus, a soundbite of the seventh doctor's famous rice pudding speech to boot. And he gives this a rating of... 4.5 out of 5 Secret Service dudes getting horribly vaporized for Missy's amusement. That's just mean, Missy. Just mean. (laughs) Excellent, Minnie. Love it, Michael. Thank you very much. Uh, People who happen to not be Michael, you can follow Michael on Twitter. Michael can be found at bad underscore movie underscore club. Thanks, Michael. Now back to the show. Bing bong. And that's it for now. This has been a blast. I've had a fantastic evening. What have we got coming up next? In the new Who channel, it's The Witch is Familiar. In the classic Who channel, it's Creature from the Pit. It's the one where Tom Baker fillets an alien. Is it? I've seen a clip of that. Yeah, it's pretty hot. (laughs) I've seen it too, and it wasn't on YouTube. (laughs) Pornhub? That's what I was getting at, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any audios in the pipeline? Oh, well, if there were, then it'll be Relative Dimensions. Until then, you can say hello to us on the line. Uh, Marie, you are not on Twitter, if I'm not mistaken, but I believe you are on the gram. I am on the gram. Uh, I haven't posted in a while, but mate, I'm going to try and um, post some nice graffiti pictures of Berlin because it's everywhere and it's really cool. Mm. So if you want to see shots of Berlin, follow me uh, on the gram. It's at Hamash and Jelly. Ham, mash, and jelly. Yeah. Uh, it won't really be Doctor Who related, probably, but if, you know, if you're interested in seeing Berlin, then why not? Yeah, and and just to say hi. Why not? Just to say hi. Why not? Yeah. Drew, are, are you on some sort of social medium? I am. You can join this troll under his Tweety Bridge at Drew Backwen. <laughs> Excellent branding. <laughs> and you can high-five me online as well. I'll high-five you right back. You can find me at... Punkin. At least for now. That's P-O-N-K-N, Punkin. Thanks very much. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again for listening. You've been a lovely, fantastic audience. Thank you so much, Marie and Drew, for having such a swell evening with me. Oh my goodness, I've had a blast. This has been great. (laughs) 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 Until the next time, please rock on, be rad and excellent to each other. (laughs) Cha-chao. Bye-bye. Cheers. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters 
boosters and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao Who like when? <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> oh, shit, I wasn't recording that. Oh, which what? How much of it? The minis. <gasps> All of them. <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh, okay. And so.